Section 9 of The Wounded Name by D. K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Eileen. Chapter 4, Part 2. 6. On June 9th, more than five weeks after he had been brought to the chateau, Aymar was at last allowed to leave his bed and sat in an armchair looking, so Laurent privately thought, ten times as gaunt and hollow-eyed as he had done between the sheets. Indeed, his quite natural state of weakness was a considerable disappointment to Loiseleur as well as to his nurse, since at first his legs would not support him for an instant. However, on the second day he managed to walk round the room between Monsieur Perlet and Laurent, and shortly afterwards was clad in a suit of clothes belonging to the absent owner of Arbel, for every garment of his own, except his boots, had had to be destroyed. Though this did not fit him, in cut and texture it was well enough, and to Laurent it was a great thing to see his charge clothed. He cherished visions of taking him before long for a walk on the terrace. But, on the whole, Loiselag was even more depressed than he had been while in bed, and Laurent wondered whether this was due to the disappointment of finding himself so unexpectedly weak. He had hoped that his friend was getting the better of these periods of gloom, and now the haunted look was more apparent than ever. Oh, I wish to goodness that he would tell me the whole story and have done with it, he thought, almost in despair, after a few days of this, as he went down one afternoon for his constitutional. He half promised that he would, some day. It would be so much better if he talked about it, instead of eternally brooding over it. Two heads might perhaps see a way out. Personal matters apart, Logon himself had really more cause for depression at the moment than La Gaucheterie. For only this morning had Monsieur Pegalet brought them the news of the death of the Marquis de la Roche Jacqueline in a skirmish, a calamitous loss to the Vendean royalists. It had indeed greatly shocked the late Vendean aide-de-camp. On the other hand, the good doctor reported a victory of Sol de Grisol, the Breton general-in-chief, on June 10th, which had opened for him the way to the sea and to the reception of much-needed arms from England. But this had not cheered Loiseleur. Rigaud and another young officer were already strolling on the terrace when his guard deposited Laurent there. The former hailed him, the latter he had met once or twice, and the three took a turn up and down together. Pleasant weather, remarked Rigaud. I'm glad, Monsieur de Courtemar, that you get at least this taste of it. He's a very thoughtful old boy, the Sieur Pagalet. By the way, I hear that St. Sebastian is out of bed at last. Logon stopped dead and looked him in the face. I don't know to whom you're referring, monsieur, he said sharply. But the red which had mounted to his cheek showed that he had at any rate a very good idea. No offense, said Rigaud lightly. The name is not of my originating. Though, parbleu, it is, from all accounts, strikingly appropriate, murmured the other officer. Oh, it is in strikingly bad taste, retorted Laurent, turning upon him. And as the culprit did not appear penitent, but had a subdued grin on his face, he added, oh, I did not come out here to listen to offensive conversation. 
and began to move haughtily away. But Rigaud came after him. Oh, it is I who ought to apologize, Monsieur de Courtemar, he said hastily. Oh, I do apologize, sincerely. It slipped out without my meaning it. Laurent writhed. Evidently the officers of the garrison were in the habit of referring to Aymar by this title, and it was horribly appropriate. Therein lay its offensiveness. The other officer made a half-laughing apology, too, and, saluting, went off. Laurent looked after him, frowning. "'I must say you are a staunch champion,' came Rigaud's voice in his ear. Oh, please don't think I'm insincere when I say that I admire you for it. Really, I hope I should be the same in your place. Saint La Rochetterie is your friend, and if a man does not believe his friend when he assures him that he is innocent, well. But Lieutenant Rigaud's magnanimous attempt to take another's point of view fell disappointingly flat. For Laurent, biting his lip, was now frowning at the gravel of the terrace. It was an odd moment for the thought to strike him for the first time in all these weeks, that that was exactly what his friend had never done. Aymar never had assured him, in so many words, that he was innocent. He shook off the impression in a moment, for why should Aymar have told him a thing of which, as he knew, Laurent was already convinced? and when he returned to their joint apartment, he had forgotten it. Aymar, lying back in his armchair by the window, doing nothing, exactly as he had left him, appeared so averse to conversation that Laurent gave up the attempt and took up instead the Vicar of Wakefield, which he himself was re-reading at odd moments, for the English lessons had soon been discontinued. It had not taken Laurent long to find out that his pupil's interest in them was only simulated, probably for his sake. The innocent and amiable volume now opened of itself at the beginning of chapter 22, and Laurent found himself reading these words in large type. None but the guilty can be long and completely miserable. They were only one of Goldsmith's sententious chapter headings, but they might have been the inscription on Belshazzar's palace wall. Laurent was suddenly mesmerized and remained staring at them. He did not ask whether what they stated was axiomatically true. It was only that it fitted in so diabolically with, well, with all the profound depression of the last few days, with the whole attitude, even, of that silent figure now leaning its head on its nerveless hand not even looking out of the window at the allurements of June. And the page cast up at him further accusing scraps. Grief seemed formed for continuing. Anxiety had taken strong possession. Nothing gave her ease. In company she dreaded contempt. In solitude she only found anxiety. Long and completely miserable. None but the guilty. Oh, good God, what was he thinking? Hot and cold by turns, Laurent flung the vicar of Wakefield violently on his bed. His action had at least the result of rousing Aymar, for it made him jump. 7. 
Next day, when Laurent came back from the terrace, he walked into an empty room. Aymar was not there. One pang of wild dismay, and, turning quickly, he inserted his foot into the closing door. Where is Monsieur de la Rochetterie? he demanded fiercely of the sentry. A guard came and took him downstairs about half an hour ago, replied the man. I must shut this door, sir. I took him downstairs, ejaculated Laurent. And downstairs, in heaven's name, why? The colonel is back and wished to see him. Some kind of a council, I think. Oh, I shall get into trouble, sir, if you don't allow me. Oh, I've a good mind to go down after him, declared Laurent, and the light of combat coming into his eyes. No, all right, he added, as the empty-handed sentry thereupon made a grab for his musket. And he turned away. Guiton back, and sending for Loiseleur. Oh, what could it mean? The cipher business again? No, that was all over. Oh, damn that scoundrel! Why did he come back? Why did he not die of that ball in his leg? And as to making Aymar go downstairs in his present condition, when he had never done more than walk a little about this room, well, they would certainly have to carry him up again. It would set him back for ages, and Monsieur Perelet was away for a couple of days, too. Thus Laurent fumed. But Aymar was not carried back, and though when at last he came in, he looked scarcely able to stand and leant against the door for a moment with closed eyes, clutching the handle. Laurent, thinking he was going to fall, hurried to him. Aymar, he began, putting out an arm. But Aymar brushed aside his proffered assistance with small courtesy and, staggering past him to his own bed, sat down, gripping the edge of it with both hands. Laurent took one glance at him and poured out brandy. Those stairs, he muttered furiously. Madness! I'll drink this and lie down quickly. But Aymar did not seem to see the glass he held out. He was staring in front of him with eyes like live coals, his breath coming very fast, and in a moment Laurent realized that, as well as being physically spent, he was quivering with rage. Oh, you must take this, Aymar, he repeated. The eyes blazed at him then. You're becoming a veritable old woman, Dakota Mar. There are times when one would really prefer to be allowed to lie down and perish in peace. After which ungracious remark, he took the brandy from the slightly stunned Laurent, drank it off impatiently, and, pulling himself completely onto the bed, subsided there. Laurent went and looked out of the window, undeniably wounded, but telling himself that something extremely unpleasant had been taking place downstairs, and that a man on the borderline of endurance will sometimes strike out at the very person he would least desire to hurt, if that person be on the spot. Nor had he ever judged Amax to be a very patient nature. He stole a look at him now, and saw that he was lying face downwards. For the first time, he realized what an affliction it must be never to have solitude in hours of strain. But as he could not take himself off, he tried to bury himself in a book. It might have been ten minutes later, or twenty, that Aymar suddenly turned over 
and raised himself on an elbow. I want to ask your pardon for the way I spoke to you just now, Laurent, he said, in a voice not quite free from constraint. I hope you know that I did not mean it for an instant. I was annoyed, but not, God knows, with you. The blood seemed to come back to Laurent's heart again. Of course I knew that you did not mean it, he replied cheerfully. I saw that you were annoyed and longing to ask why, but not quite daring. He took refuge in a triviality. Her convalescents are allowed to be irritable. So, if it means that you're getting stronger, you're welcome to call me an old woman as much as you like. Amar struggled off the bed back to a sitting posture on the edge. Did I really say that? Oh, I deserve to be... He stopped abruptly, and a wave of red passed over his colorless face. It became still more somber. He shut his mouth tight, and dragging himself to his feet went over to the window, stood a moment looking out, and then let himself fall into the big chair there. Laurent, he said presently, as an excuse for my rudeness and ingratitude, I will tell you why they had me down. But there was struggle in his voice, and with one hand he was twisting a tassel of the chair. It was the same thing over again. Colonel Guiton asked me what I meant to do henceforward, since I could hope for no mercy from my own side. He was therefore kind enough to promise me a commission with his. And as Laurent made an angry exclamation, he went on. Oh, but that is nothing new. Have you forgotten his visit here that day? Only this time it was much more public. He caught his breath for a second. And this time he did not, I think, really expect me to accept. Then they went through my few papers at great length and questioned me about them. And that's all. Don't ask me any more about it. He put his head back in the chair. His arms fell to his sides. Laurent, kneeling by him, carried away on far too deep a tide of anger and pity to remember his own recent repulse, began to chafe the cold hands, cursing under his breath the man who had devised so public an indignity. For a moment, Aymar roused himself. A coals of fire, he said, looking at him with a world of expression in his tragic eyes. Yes, as Guiton announced just now, shooting is too good for me. 8. And they were nearer to each other that evening than they had ever been before. Afterwards, Laurent thought that had Aymar not been so spent in body and so quivering in soul, he would probably have told him his secret. As it was, he lay silent on his bed and watched the sky through the window, and Laurent watched him and had a kind of happiness from it. But at the same time he was deeply uneasy. What would that devil do next, now that he was back? He had not waited long to strike. But short of imprisoning them in different rooms, a most distasteful possibility, the young man did not see what he could do. It was about two o'clock next afternoon, 
a little before the time when Laurent usually took his walk on the terrace, that steps outside the door roused him from the book he was reading. Oh, my escort, he said with a yawn, and the fellows are early. But there entered instead Colonel Guiton. Laurent's heart descended to its boots. Aymar immediately pulled himself out of his chair and stood looking out of the window. Good afternoon, Monsieur de Courtemar, said the Bonapartist, taking on his side no notice of Loiseleur. What pleasant day, is it not? He came forward into the room, limping a little, as Laurent was delighted to see. You've not yet gone out for your constitutional, then. It was really apropos of that that I came, to suggest that you should, if you wished, have liberty to extend it. You're very kind, Monsieur le Colonel, murmured Laurent, taken aback. Oh, in fact, I have been reflecting that it would perhaps be more agreeable for you to become a prisoner on parole altogether now. But why should I suddenly become a prisoner on parole? Because, responded the Colonel, showing his teeth in his false smile, you will henceforward be alone in captivity, and as an alleviation, I thought. Alone, exclaimed Laurent, glancing at the figure against the window. He did mean to separate them, and then... Yes, said the imperialist. You're going to lose your patient today. I'm afraid that we cannot keep him any longer. How, Monsieur de la Rochetterie? Aymar was forced to turn round. He wore an icy and disdainful face. Here, Monsieur, said the Colonel, advancing to the table, are most of the papers and all of the money and other effects found on you, after, after your unfortunate experience in the Bois de Fauvette. We had the pleasure of going through the former together yesterday. Here, in particular, is a letter which I am sure you will be very glad to recover. There's now nothing to keep you longer from the fair writer. Unless, of course, she has rather stricter views on honor than yours. And, with his eyes on him, he laid a purse, a leather case, and a stained letter on the table. Aymar had not moved from the window. But at the last words, Laurent saw his hands shut themselves with a jerk. After a very tense second, he demanded curtly, Why are you giving me back these things? Because it is usual to return his effects to a liberated prisoner. And you are free, Monsieur de la Rochetterie. Free, exclaimed Loiselog, taking a step forward. Free, echoed Laurent, not believing his ears. Well, you are surprised, Monsieur de Courtemac, inquired the colonel suavely, turning to him. But of what advantage can it be to us to house, feed, and give medical attendance to this gentleman any longer? After yesterday's interview, we have no choice but to ask him to seek lodging elsewhere. As it is highly improbable that he will find it among his own friends, we do not run any risk in this step. I regret, Monsieur de la Rochetterie, that with these possessions I cannot return to you your sword. You had, I fancy, already been deprived of it before your accident. And at that Aymar strode forward to the table. If you were only a gentleman, I would call you out for that, he said, 
in a voice of intense and quiet fury, and he looked so dangerous that Laurent all but made a movement to intervene. "'How any gentleman would hold me absolved from accepting your challenge, if you sent it,' retorted the Bonapartist, undisturbed. "'I think you will realize that state of affairs when you are free, Monsieur le Vicomte. "'And be ready, please, to leave this room in a quarter of an hour.' In the stunned silence brought about by his last words, he turned as if to go, then, apparently remembering something, swung round again, and putting his hands into his pocket, took out a small object. "'The reward of martial valour, if I mistake not,' he said dryly, looking down at it and evidently reading off the phrase. Then he lifted his eyes to his released prisoner, and, taking the little object from the palm of one hand, held it out dangling from the finger and thumb of the other. Laurent then saw what it was, a Max cross of St. Louis, held it out to its owner in silence, but with a look and smile which made it a more hateful commentary than any words. Colonel Guiton, who had come in person to announce his decree, intended that Loiselot should be made to receive his dishonored decoration from him in person, and that, in fact, was what did happen, for after a moment or two of waiting, Aymar was obliged to advance and take the order from the outstretched hand. And having forced him to this, the colonel turned away with a broadening of his contemptuous smile. But Laurent managed to intercept him before he got to the door. Oh, Monsieur le colonel, he protested, oh, you cannot do such an inhuman thing. It is unheard of. Monsieur de la Rochetterie is only just out of a sickbed, where he has lain, as you know, in danger of his life. He can hardly stand. He is not fit to travel. It is little short of murder. The dragoon shrugged his shoulders. Now that is not my business, Monsieur de Courtemar. We have returned him his money. It is open to him to procure further medical care. I do not think, however, he added with a sneer, and that he will go to the nearest royalist headquarters for it, and that might lead him to a beech tree again. Anyhow, Monsieur le Comte, I am sorry to deprive you of his society, as you seem to like it. So, if you care to give me your parole. I'll see you in hell first, cried Laurent, exploding. And the force of his passion was such that he barely heard the colonel, with a darkened and furious face, saying something as he went out, about the place in which he would shortly find himself. And Aymar? Aymar had laid down the cross near his other little possessions, and with bowed head was supporting himself, close to the table, by the back of a chair. As soon as he heard the door close, he dropped into the chair, put his elbows on the table, and covered his face. And the next moment his hands slid, locked from his face, and his head went down on his outstretched arms. Aymar, said Laurent, in an almost awestruck voice, oh, he cannot mean this. It's impossible. No answer, except that given by the objects lying on the table near the humiliated head. The obscurest soldier would have been too valuable to the other side to release, but Loiselot was henceforth worthless and they could safely afford themselves the satisfaction of flinging him out. And the realization of this had beaten him to his knees. 
Oh, it is impossible, repeated Laurent, but with less assurance. Did he, did he threaten this yesterday? The bronze head stirred, and then raised itself. But Amak's expression was dazed, and after staring at him a moment, he dropped his face again on his arms. A wave of fierce, indignant pity surged over Laurent. Yes, and that butcher and devil had knocked him out of time. Mercifully, he could not witness his achievement. He knelt down and threw an arm across the bowed shoulders. Oh, Amak, he said desperately, let us think what is to be done. There's not very long. But Amak said in a choked voice, oh, I wonder that you can bring yourself to touch me. As an answer to that, Laurent put his arm closer about him. Do you think I pay a moment's heed to what that blackguard said? I have your secret. But, Amar, the cost is too heavy. The locked hands twisted a moment. The cost. Oh, my God. The cost, said the voice brokenly. And then Loiselog lifted his head, his eyes fixed on the window. You still think that of me? You will not think it much longer. Am I so changeable? asked Laurent gently. He possessed himself of a hand. Yes, Imar, the cost is too heavy. It is more than one man ought to pay for another. It is not right. I do implore you to reconsider now and clear yourself. There was no answer for a moment. Loiselog's hand lay impassive in his. He put his other over his eyes. And then, between a gasp and a sigh, he said, I cannot, I cannot clear myself. Laurent set his teeth, his fingers closed on the faintly scarred wrist. I have thought that sometimes, he answered. You've got entangled in another's dishonor. And then, as I am a living man, that other shall clear you. Now tell me, who is this de Fresne? who would not admit the truth. Amag's hand dropped from his eyes. He looked at the speaker with haggard astonishment. De Fresne, where did he hear his name? And without giving him time to reply, he went on. Oh, my dear Laurent, you're on the wrong road. No, no, de Fresne was the victim, not the culprit. Oh, the truth. A little shudder went through him and he withdrew his hand from Laurent's grasp. I've no one but myself to thank for my situation. That is the truth. I ought to have told you everything before this. Now there's no time. He took a deep breath. How much longer? I must be ready. Only a few minutes more, faltered Laurent, glancing away to the clock. No one but myself to thank if he would only give him the clue. But this was not the moment. If, in a few instants, Aimard de la Rochetterie was to be thrust out from the shelter of a roof, some preparation must be made. Oh, but what preparation? He had nothing but the ill-fitting clothes he wore. And, as to provisions, there were none in the room. Laurent sprang up from his knees. Oh, you must take my cloak. And there's brandy in the flask, I think. 
Are your cloak? repeated Aymar tonelessly. It is uniform. I cannot wear it. He pulled himself to his feet and stood looking down at his returned possessions. What am I to do with these? he said, as though to himself, touching them stupidly. But as he took up the letter, a spasm of pain came over his face. I know what I will do with this. Have your tinder-box there. Laurent gave him his. With hands whose shaking he tried vainly to control, Aymar at last obtained a light, set fire to the stained letter, and held it flaming till it fell in flakes on the table, till his own hand was almost burned. And Laurent stood dumb before an agony of soul, which he felt to be as consuming as the mounting flame that was so strange in the daylight, and before the immediate vision of his own great loss. In a few moments, unless it were a cruel jest of authority, his friend would be torn from him. It was quite possible that he should never see him again. And in that second he took his resolve. If he got a bullet in him, if he broke his neck over it, he would leave the Chateau Arbel himself that night. Aymar, he said abruptly, tell me quickly in what direction you will go, for I mean to follow you. Direction? repeated Aymar, staring at the ashes of the letter. Direction? Oh, I don't know. Just away somewhere, where they do not know me. A firing party would have been so much more merciful, he added to himself. He slowly put his money and the wallet into one pocket, while Laurent, with smarting eyes, slipped the brandy flask into the other. The cross, with a laurel encircled sword uppermost, still lay on the table by the ashes of the letter, with only a small piece of its red ribbon, oddly jagged and torn, still adhering to it. Aymar looked down at it. Perhaps he would rather not have any remembrance of me. A man who can be insulted with impunity, he said, his lip curling. But if you care to, will you take this? And he suddenly held out the decoration to his companion. Laurent was staggered. Aymar was too stunned, of course, to realize what he was doing. He caught him by the arm. No! he cried fervently. What? And take what you won so gloriously, and will wear again, as gloriously some day. Put it in your pocket, Aymar. I want no remembrance of you, for we shall not long be separated. I mean to escape from Arbel to-night and follow you. But I must know in what direction you intend to go. Loiselag did mechanically put the order into a pocket, but to the question he shook his head. Oh, have you not heard, and that neither side will give me shelter? Oh, for God's sake, don't talk like that, cried Laurent. Do you not realize that in your state you cannot walk half a mile? Will you go to the inn in the village, and we can arrange? No, I have a better idea. Of course, you will go to Monsieur Perlet. Why did I not think of that before? And then you will be properly cared for. Aymar, go there at once. Anyone will direct you to his house. But Aymar once more shook his head. Oh, he's away. I would not ask such a favor of him if he were at home. I cannot install myself there in his absence. Very well, then, the inn, 
and we must arrange quickly how I am to meet you when I escape. For the first time, Aymar showed animation. When you escape, my dear Laurent, you're much more likely to find yourself a prisoner in earnest tonight, and that man will not forgive your outburst. Oh, Laurent, why did you do it? Oh, for heaven's sake, listen, Aymar. Will you go to the village till I... The village, and to face the soldiers? Enough that I shall have to face them here. And now, he added, as a heavy tread was audible along the corridor. They both listened for a second. Oh, it does not matter where I go, went on Aymar. You will never see me again, Laurent. So much the better. I would not have you touched with the shadow of my disgrace. For what you have been to me, I cannot even thank you. He held out his hand rather blindly. I have taken so much from you, and repaid it so ill. There throbbed in the last words a veritable naked nerve of pain, more than Laurent could comprehend. All he knew was that he had enough pain of his own. As the tread stopped, and voices were heard outside the door, he caught his friend by the shoulders. I shall see you again. I shall find you. I'm coming after you tonight, and this is only au revoir, l'oiseleur. And he kissed them on both cheeks. No, it is a jeu, replied Aymar, his hands on the hands that held him, as if to disengage himself. But all at once Laurent felt himself pulled closer. His friend's, his hero's head, was down for a moment on his shoulder, and he heard, close to his ear, the whispered words. Oh, try to go on believing that I'm not a traitor. Farewell and appeal in one. Then the clasp loosened, and he himself turned to see four soldiers with fixed bayonets coming through the door. He was dully surprised. <laughs> Had they expected resistance? Aymar drew himself up and looked at them gravely. And the quiet personal dignity, which it seemed impossible for him ever quite to lose, shone out the more clearly as he braced himself to meet fresh humiliation. So clearly, in fact, that the escort, rather surprisingly, saluted him. But to Laurent, the scene was horribly that of a man going out to execution. Had La Gaucherie's father, just my age, when he was guillotined, worn an air like that? But no one had thrown mud at him. Aymar gave his friend an unforgettable look and held out his hand once more. Adieu, he said again. Laurent wrung the hand hard. I shall follow, he repeated slowly and clearly in English. The next moment the door was locked again, and the tramp of feet was dying down, and Laurent was alone. Alone in the room which never yet, save for a short space yesterday, had he known destitute of Aymar's presence. End of section 9